And we're live on Honorado and Bagnardi. Chris Honorado, Sean Bagnardi with you here. Uh, Friday before the NFL playoffs begin, Friday before college football's national championship. Uh, man, what a three-day stretch we have of football. And, and Bags, before we get really into the show here and before we dive into our guest, we need a little good news and a little positivity. So I am I am pumped that we're going to talk with one of the founding members of Bill's Mafia, Del Reed, this morning. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. I'm with you. We definitely need some good news. And how exciting that we have two triple headers. I know. We could be heading into what becomes the best week in NFL football all year, right? Because like you said, we're not going back now because this is going to be so successful. We're going to have these triple headers all the time now, right? All right, let's do it. Honorado and Bagnardi starts now. In this case, two is not better than one. Who are any of these guys? You're doubling it. You're doubling it. That's major. They were the best team last year, and they just got a whole lot better. This is Honorado and Bagnardi. Driven by Mohawk Honda and Mohawk Chevrolet. Two triple headers, Shawnee. You said it, man. Back to back, Saturday, Sunday, three games apiece. I'll get into, you know, revising my thoughts on the expanded NFL playoffs because I am really excited for this weekend. But let's get into the the first game of the weekend. Colts-Bills, right out of the chute, man. For the first time this year, fans will be allowed in Buffalo. And it's the first home playoff game for these Bills since 1996. Man, nobody knows this team any better than one of the founding members of Bills Mafia, and that is Del Reed, buddy of ours here in Albany, because he's a he's a real man who wears pink, a friend of ours, Shawnee and Anthony Marino. Del, it's, it's good to see you, dude. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited about tomorrow. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, but the wait hasn't been that long. And so the first thing I wanted to ask you was, third trip to the playoffs in four years – why does this year feel different for you guys? Uh, that's a good question. So in 2017, uh, that season, they kind of backed into the playoffs a little bit, somewhat unexpectedly. I, even yeah. as a diehard Bills fan, it wasn't until like a week or so before the game. Um, we really start thinking like, this could actually happen. <laughs> so, And then last year, it kind of felt um, like it, it was obviously deserved. It just um, – it felt like they were a little ahead of their time. They're a little um, on the upward path. Like we were happy to, to, to get into the playoffs as fans. It would have been great to have won a game, but you know, uh, I don't think for for most fans, like Super Bowl aspirations were really realistic. There, they just wanted to see the Bills make some noise a little bit. Um, but now this season, when you look at the, just at the uh, the current trend they're on winning the the last three games, I think by like 29 points or something. It's something ridiculous that they're, they're just a buzzsaw right now heading into the playoffs. I mean, the sky is the limit for this team. And it's just, it's so exciting. And you know what? It has been a long time um, since a team, uh, a Buffalo Bills team has entered the playoffs with this, um, with this much momentum and, and this much anticipation. It really is, you know, since the, the early nineties that it's been, where this feels like the team is entering the playoffs and it's basically their God-given right <laughs> to get through this wild card matchup and, in, you know, even deeper into um, maybe even February. See, Dill, as a, as a Mets fan, I feel like I'm kind of relate here. When we get a good team, 
I get really excited, but then I also get really worried because I feel like, boy, this would be just a Mets thing to do to get me <laughs> all hyped up. And then you have even a bigger letdown. Is any part of you as excited as you are about how good this team is worried that maybe all the expectations now could lead to a bigger letdown? No, no. Uh, and it, it sounds super unbillsy to say that as a Bills fan. Um, but I don't have that that um, that nagging voice in the back of my head that has been there for the past you know twenty plus years. That that that's gone. Um, primarily because the the only constant in this entire um, franchise is, is the building. That's that's about it. Because you've got you know the owners have only been on board for a little over six years. You have everything has been turned over. Um, I think. The, you know the only the only vestige of anything pre two thousand fourteen is Jerry Hughes, and he's good to have. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's um, it, this is a completely new franchise. Uh, you know, from ownership all you know all the way down. Um, heck, even the name of the stadium is different now. Um, it's been through a couple changes. So um, this is a completely different team, and it is I in my opinion completely unfair to project any anxiety I have I may have from things that happened 10, 12, 15, 20 years ago, uh, it's completely unfair to them. This roster, this this front office has completely earned this blanket of trust that I've kind of just handed over to them. All right, Dale, you mentioned it there, the stadium a couple of times. What is it going to be like? I know it's few, less than 10% of capacity, but more than 6,700 fans will be allowed. It'll be the first time this year that fans are, are in Orchard Park, uh, even at roughly 7,000 fans, what will that be like and what will that mean to this group? Uh, well, it's exciting that to, when you think of the, the rookies and the new additions to the roster, whether it's, you know, Stefan Diggs or, uh, or Gabe Davis or whoever you want to name who's never played in front of um, the Bills crowd, Bills Mafia. They've never played in front of them before. Um, I mean, heck. Gabe Davis, aside from a couple of away games, hasn't really even played in front of an NFL crowd before um, just because of, you know, everything with 2020. But um, I think it's exciting. And, you know, I've said this a couple of times in a couple of interviews I've done over the week, but I think it's, I really think it's true. It's, it's not like a, I'm not trying to say this to be cute, but if there is one fan base that can make 6,700 fans sound like 73,000, it's Bill's Mafia. That That's just, that goes without saying. So, um you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the players that, you know, the ones that have been on the team, they get to have that reminder of what Bills fans bring to the stadium. And then um, I'm excited for the, the new players that, that are going to see it for the first time. And I'm really excited for next season. <laughs> and hopefully <laughs> the stadium is full and it is absolutely electric like it is every Sunday, even when the team isn't good. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for next season as well, too. So you talked about organizationally how this team is different from years past. What about on the field? What really excites you about this roster and how this team is put together that you feel like really separates them from even successful Bills teams in years past? Um, first of all, dude, like the the team was so proud of – I don't mean the team, like, you know, for the past several years they've been crowing about how they were the number one rushing offense in the NFL. Um who cares? Who cares? <laughs> That's not. That would have been awesome in like the '90s, but in uh, in the 21st century, um, 
this, you know, this season, this team, and it's been ramping up the past couple of years with, you know, with Josh Allen bringing them slowly as a rookie in his second year. Um, they have an NFL, they have a 21st century NFL offense now. Um, and it is a, a sight to behold. It is so when I was listening to local Buffalo radio this morning on, and on WGR, one of the hosts mentioned how um, if they don't score at least 29 points tomorrow, we're going to be worried. Like, Holy cow, 29 points for a Bills team is something that up until this season was like, like hang a pair. <laughs> so it's it's for them to, to for that to be the bar now, I think really just speaks to uh, the progress that this team has made on the field, on the offensive side of the ball. Go to the other side of the ball, the defense, like it took them a few, you know, uh, uh, a few weeks to really hit their stride, or maybe over like a month or two, <laughs> to be honest. But like they are currently like this defense is has really hit its stride and um, is performing at the same level, level it has been the past couple of years. So the Bills really have a window right now to, to you know, I'm, I'll just say it. They have a, a chance to win it all. Like this, how else is it going to be better when you think about the, the quarterback on his rookie deal and uh, the offense that's around him? Um, they're able to pay the, the, the a lot of the other the defenders and everything. Like you look at the Seattle Seahawks model from a few years back with Russell Wilson before he got his first contract. Like that's where the Bills are right now. And um, not saying that you know once Josh Allen gets paid and they have to allocate their seller cap elsewhere, like it's, they're not going to win. But I'm just saying, like they're in a really sweet spot right now. Yeah, look, the number of teams that are highly competitive are are generally Dell in the last ten years or so. The ones that have quarterbacks on rookie contracts, like you mentioned with Russell Wilson. Look, I don't know if they're going to score fifty five or fifty six, whatever it was they scored last week. But 501 points this year is a franchise record. So you talk about that modern-day offense. No Bills team in history has scored as many points as this one. Josh Allen at more than 4,500 yards, 37 touchdowns. They're both franchise records as well. I mean, the history books, and I know the game is different, but this team is rewriting this rich history book. Oh, it's awesome, isn't it? As a Bills fan, <laughs> like, I'm freaking out. I mean – Last year, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, somebody can put it in a, you know, a comment or a fact check me or whatever. But uh, I'm pretty sure that the, the Kansas City Chiefs, the offensive juggernaut, uh, the 2019 season, pretty sure they scored 451 points all season during the regular season. Yo, <laughs> 501 is significantly more than 451 when you get into percentages and everything. So, um you know, as as a as a Bills fan, and listen, I, I'm I'm allowed. I, I'm a fan. I'm allowed to look past the matchups. I'm a, I'm allowed to start sizing things up for the divisional round and the conference championship. And then I I'll have I'll, I can kick myself afterwards if, um, you know, it turns out going sideways. But um, I, I'm not afraid of the Chiefs. I, I I'm not afraid for this team to play the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they lost by nine last time they played. And I'm not making excuses, but the weather was crappy. Here's some excuses. Uh, the weather was crappy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the game had been moved from a Thursday to the Monday. It was like a 5.30 start or whatever it was. Like There was a couple of mitigating factors. And plus, this is a different team. This is a different Buffalo Bills team right now than it was when they squared off against the Chiefs um, a, a few months ago. So uh, I, I am so excited to, to see our NFL offense against the Chiefs NFL offense. And I can only imagine what the, the over-under will be. Well, we hope we hope we get to the Chiefs matchup. But let's start with this week. Anything about the Colts that even worries you a little bit, or maybe I'll rephrase the question to say, what do you think is the one thing you've really got to take care of in order to make sure you get this one? 
I think the, the Bills need to make sure that they're they get out early. They they get out ahead early and um basically, you know, take care take care of their business. I know that they're gonna have uh um I, th- I think it's Rock Yassin. Um their corner, I believe, is out. I think the Bills need to take advantage of that. Um they need to basically, you know, put the the pedal to the metal and and, and get out ahead. Um I'm also worried about the weirdness. I mean, Frank Reich, man, I'm 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 45. So I watched through all the Super Bowls, I watched through all his games. Um <laughs> so, you know, I don't want there to be too much weirdness afterwards if if the Bills do well or if they don't do well. Um, that kind of stinks, but that comes with the territory. Yeah, and Frank Reich, obviously, as as any Bills or real NFL fan remembers, was the guy who led that incredible comeback against the Houston Oilers, what, 93. Um, Dell, take us back to, as everybody knows, and you see it on on the screen there, at Dell Reed is where you find him on Twitter, uh, one of the Bills uh founding members, Bill's Mafia founding members. Take us back to when this group started, okay, before anybody kind of knew who Bill's Mafia or what Bill's Mafia was and what it has exploded to today. Yeah, so um, real quick, you know, the real quick summary is myself and uh, my, my couple other co-founders of Bill's Mafia, uh, Brian and, and Leslie, uh, it was just an inside joke that we had, the term Bill's Mafia. It was just a joke between you know, three, four, five, six, seven of us, a very small group on Twitter, um, just, you know, kind of poking fun at how Adam Schefter had blocked us at one point because we were teasing about uh, a retweet of Stevie Johnson, you know, uh, in 2010. So it was just an inside joke. And I, I always say it wasn't built in a lab. It wasn't something where we hired a marketing firm and said, hey, can you help us come up with a really cool name that, you know, rolls off the tongue nicely and it sounds cool. Uh, of course we wouldn't have, if I was doing that, I wouldn't have chosen mafia, but that's just that's what happened. Um, but it's just, uh, it has just, it was a, a segment of, of Bill's fans. It grew into this inside joke to a segment of Bill's fans who were, you know, crazy out of control, optimistic about everything. Um, just loved the team, supported the team and has since grown and grown and grown over time to where it is now, where it's the de facto name of the Bill's fan base. I mean, the team, itself has adopted the term which is even now i mean this is like 10 years later almost like it's still surreal to me that the the team um is putting out tweets and you know i get to push notifications on my bills app it says bills mafia i'm like still it, it never it never it never gets old bill you know players get drafted they get signed as free agents the first thing they do is they tweet that hashtag or that term um so it's crazy it's just it's you know it, it's something that has always been around i always say that it grew it started after a four and twelve season, so Bill's Mafia, like it's not something that's just full of bandwagoners. I mean, we've all been here. Uh, the stadium, you go to the stadium any any game of the year, any season when there's no pandemic going, and doesn't matter what the record is, the t- the stadium is full, and, and so um, it's just become our name. So I mean, the Raiders have Raider Nation, and literally every other team has something Nation. So it's it's kind of fun that you know there's there's not another mafia. So it's, it's kind of fun that we had that to ourselves. For sure. So is there a difference between a Bills fan and a Bills mafia member? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it depends because, you know, maybe some people aren't crazy about the term or they don't want to ascribe to it. But I've always said that, you know, if you're a Bills fan, like no one does that lightly, (laughs) you know, especially (laughs) for the past 20 years. So it's a DNA thing. So, um, if, if, if you're a Bills fan, you are more than welcome to call yourself Bills Mafia. Um, you're, you know, you're one of us. And, and so I don't know if there's really a difference maybe in years prior, 
we could have said that, but as it's grown and just expanded, it's just, it's everybody. Well, when I was in college, Dell, I used to go up to Bill's games from Ithaca quite a bit with some of my buddies at school, and we'd sleep in one of our friends' basement in Williamsville. We'd wake up early. We'd tailgate. It was a totally different atmosphere than I had ever witnessed at an NFL game going to a Jets or Giants game, being from Jersey before. So the Bills have always had a little bit of a special place in my heart. Good luck this weekend, man. This has been fun catching up. We really appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy the game. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Go Bills. Del Reed, one of the founding members of Bills Mafia with us here, Bags on Honorado and Bagnardi. One thing I didn't have a chance to ask him was, where does Josh Allen rank in the MVP debate? You and I will get into that here because I don't even think it should be all that close in terms of who wins. I know. But I think the final order might be a little more, a little different than what people expect, right? I mean, yeah. in terms of one, uh, there are four candidates. That, that's it. There are four mm -hmm. candidates. Yeah. Um, and then how many... You know, real. How does it it really shake out? To me, clear number one, and then I think two through four are a little bit interesting. Huge baseball news yesterday as well. Bags your Mets really announcing themselves now as a contender, not just in the National League but in Major League Baseball overall because of I think some of the moves that might even you know follow this trade for Francisco Lindor. We'll get into all that, but all, but we got the we got the six NFL games this weekend. We're going to make our picks next right here on Honorado and Bagnardi. I lead a busy lifestyle and wanted a vehicle with the space I need and loaded with bells and whistles. Dre was fun to work with and found a great deal for me to find new roads at Mohawk Chevrolet. And right now you should reserve your 2021 Silverado because we can't keep them in stock during truck month at Mohawk Chevrolet. Or cash in on 0.9 financing on select 2020 models for up to 72 months right now during truck month at Mohawk Chevrolet. I'm Kimmy from Clifton Park and that's my story and this is my Mohawk Chevrolet, where they always go out of their way to please you. So, what does Capcom have that your bank doesn't? You'll love our lower fees and great rates, and a team of financial experts who put you first. What's not to love? We even make it easy to switch. Visit us and open your account today. And find out what it's like to bank where you matter most. Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. So much to get to here on a Friday before an NFL wildcard weekend. Todd McShay has released his mock draft. We'll get into those top five picks and then some of the other notables. How many quarterbacks does he have going in the first round? More than I would have guessed, hmm. but not as many in the top five or top ten as I would have figured. So some surprise there from McShay's first mock draft, uh, which we will get into. But before we do any of that, Bags, we got the wild card games this weekend. Let's make our picks here. To me, the toughest game of the weekend is the last one you see on your screen, and that's Cleveland at Pittsburgh. That, to me, was the most difficult to try to decide which Steelers team is this. Is it the one that started 11-0 or whatever they were, and, and now has really struggled to run the ball, as many of the guests on this show have told us. They just cannot establish a running game. To me, it becomes awfully difficult to win multiple playoff games if you don't have that in your arsenal. We'll get to that in a second here. But Colts-Bills, Shawnee, give me the Bills, man. Come on. First home playoff game since 96. They've lost six straight postseason games. Two under Sean McDermott. They should have won last year. Things really fell apart 
in the second half against the Texans. Give me Buffalo against the Colts. I'm with you. I agree with Dell. They've got to come out strong early. If they get behind early, then I think it can creep into your head that, boy, are we the Bills still here. Um, So I think they need a strong start, but I think they'll get a strong start, and I think they'll be okay. I'll take Buffalo as well. All right, this this game – Ravens Titans a lot of people probably don't remember the the rivalry that it once was with McNair and Ray Lewis on one side and or uh, McNair and Eddie George on one side Ray Lewis on the other um that nasty Ravens defense back from the early 2000s I'm looking forward to this one because the elements are different this time around you still have that dominant running back in Tennessee with Derrick Henry but on Baltimore's side, one of the most explosive offenses when it's right, and it has been the last five games, five-game winning streak for Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. Titans-Ravens, man. I'm on Tennessee here only because I had picked them to win the division, which they did, but I also had in my mind that they're going to make another run in the postseason. I think the Titans find a way here to limit what Jackson's able to do in the run game, force him into being somewhat of a passer, and in the previous two instances, we've seen a defense do that in the playoffs. Jackson and the Ravens have lost. So I'm on the Titans here, too. I want to be on the Titans. I want to root for the Titans. I like this team a lot. I predicted Baltimore at the beginning of the season at when the Super Bowl and the way they are going now. It's going to be hard for me to jump off of that pick. So I will pick the Ravens officially, although I'm not sure who I'm going to be rooting for 1 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, maybe Tennessee. And the Sunday nighter, okay, NBC has both the Saturday and Sunday nighter. We'll get to the to the uh, the NFC games here in a moment. I said it, Browns Steelers, man, for me was the most difficult one to try to land on one side. I'm going to take Pittsburgh here, and I know how bad that run offense has been for the Steelers. But to me, it comes down to how bad the Browns pass defenses. Roethlisberger got a week off last week. I think that's important for him at his age and this stage in his career. And the wide receiving weapons, Juju Smith-Schuster is getting a lot of headlines this morning, Shawnee, because of what he said yesterday about the Browns. Like, yeah, they're, To me, they're just the same old Browns, even though they've, they've made the playoffs for the first time in a long time, 2002. This is still the same team to him in his mind. There are other wide receiving options on this team that I think make Pittsburgh dangerous to what is a very susceptible Brown secondary. So give me Pittsburgh to win Sunday night. Yeah, this is not the same old Browns. And this is not the same old Steelers either. They are more than vulnerable. I think if we had a packed house in Pittsburgh, I'd be way more inclined to take the Steelers. But I, I'm going to take Cleveland here Sunday night. Ooh, okay. The first real upset, because Baltimore winning at Tennessee would not be much of an upset. Here are your NFC wildcard games. Saturday, the only NFC game of the day, Rams, Seahawks. If Jared Goff were 100% and healthy, I'd have probably higher hopes for what this game would be. But here's some numbers on Seattle that make them the clear favorite in my mind. They've won 10 straight home playoff games. Now, I know you're going to tell me, yeah, but no fans. Yep. Okay. But I really do believe that, and this is, I know it sounds stupid, but Tom Brady has talked me into this being a real factor. Comfort with your surroundings, and that is sight lines, that is space on the sideline, that is which sideline you stand on. I know it all sounds so stupid, but I really believe that home teams, fans or not, have an advantage here. So 
I'm on Seattle with this really being the biggest reason. The last last six games of the year, Bags, the defense has completely 180. Seahawks are only allowing 16 points per game over their last six games. This has turned into a really good defense now heading into the postseason against a Rams team that also has a really good defense. Ultimately, what does it come down to a lot of times? Quarterback play, Russell Wilson, and it's either a not-so-healthy Jared Goff or a guy, John Wolford, who started his first game last week. Right, And look, Russell Wilson's really good, and he can – he has the ability to get even better in the playoffs. So I'm on Seattle here as well. It's unfortunate that this game is not going to be what it really could be or should be. Um, the home advantage thing, it, I, I think it will definitely hurt Seattle not having that full crowd. So I'm not picking them really for that home advantage, but I'm taking them because I just think uh, you line them all up and they're the better team. Yeah. Tampa Bay and Washington. How much do we want to do on this game? I think I think if 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 the football team has any chance, yeah, you've you've sacked Tom Brady four or five times, and you're literally just in his kitchen all day long. Doesn't like pressure up the middle. We've heard that for many many years now. Doesn't like pressure up the middle. What are the what does Washington do best? Pressure on the outside. Yeah. Does Brady have a pocket to step up and make throws down the field to guys like Godwin, Evans, if he's healthy? The group of tight ends he has, of course, led by a guy like Rob Gronkowski. My guess here is, is the Bucks find a way to win comfortably. Tom Brady in the playoffs against a sub-500 team that doesn't have a name. Do I need to tell you who I'm picking? Come on. All right, the 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 other game on Sunday here, and this is the seven-two matchup, Chicago and New Orleans. Again, to me, this is this was the slam dunk of the weekend because I don't think the Bears pose even the threat Washington poses to Tampa. It, it's New Orleans, and and I don't care honestly if you tell me Kamara and Michael Thomas aren't playing. Give me the Saints here again, a home field advantage that doesn't include what we are used to as a home field advantage. Drew Brees playing? Sure. Okay. Yep. Here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to pick against Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, or Drew Brees uh, in the NFC playoffs here in this wild card weekend. So I'm on New Orleans as well. Okay. Uh, had this teed up for Dell. We don't want to keep him too long. But he did it in our little private chat session here say, Allen deserves MVP 100%. Ooh, 100%. Okay. Here are my thoughts on that. Josh Allen in the MVP debate, honestly, and unfortunately for Bills fans, I think probably finishes fourth. There are only four guys to discuss in my mind, and to me, Allen probably finishes fourth. I'm not saying he deserves to. Here's here's what I'm certain of. It shouldn't even be close between one and two. It should be Aaron Rodgers at number one, a faraway number one, and then I would think Mahomes is too, but it could be Derrick Henry who ran for 2,000 yards and what was an incredibly important win yeah. for Tennessee last week. So two and three, I'm, I'm kind of wish-washy on, and then I think Allen finishes fourth. The reason I say it shouldn't even be close at the top is because all we heard going into this season was how Aaron Rodgers has no offensive weapons. This team has done nothing to help him, and that narrative came back around on the national scene at the trade deadline when so many people wanted the Packers to trade for Will Fuller from the Texans. They didn't do it. 
Everybody started railing on Green Bay management again. Why aren't you helping this guy? How do you expect him to win and play well when he has no weapons? They're 13-3. and three. He led the NFL in touchdowns, 48 of them. He threw only five picks. It's arguably bags at 37 at the best season of his career. He's the MVP, and it shouldn't even be close. Now, I just want to clear something up here. If we have some Bills Mafia fans who are maybe – new to the show from by virtue of the fact we had Dell on and don't know us, aren't familiar with us. Can, can you just tell them? I'm who, a Packers fan. Like die hard, like yeah. grew up the huge Packers. All right. So yeah. we're going to put not an asterisk next to that. We're just going to put a little disclaimer. All right. Fine. Uh, but you're right. <laughs> it, it, it's ultimately going to be Aaron Rodgers, which I think. But should it be? You say it will be. Should it be? At the end of the day, I do think it should be. Um, the points you made are certainly correct. It just – it's crazy to me that – I think the QB position gets a little bit – just a little bit too much love in the MVP discussion because you really can't do more than Derrick Henry did out of the running back position. Um, but he's a running back. He's not a quarterback, and this is kind of how things go. So well, the, mo- yeah. the most important position on the field is what? The quarterback, and that's and that's what it comes down to. So I agree with you. I think it'll be closer one and two than you think it'll be, and I do think that will be Henry's second, uh, and then Mahomes. So, but if if Allen, you're right, he's fourth. I, I was going to say if, if he could jump anybody of those three to me, it would be Mahomes just by a little bit. But I don't see it happening at the end of the day. Yeah, and and look, this is. Josh Allen has had a great year. Great, I mean, franchise record book rewriting year. Passing touchdowns, passing yards, more points than than this team has ever scored in history. Yeah. But the numbers, when you look at them, still really aren't close. I mean, Rodgers threw 11 more touchdown passes. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and this is what we talk about with quarterbacks. It, it's, it's his lack of really – a ton of weapons, I think, that separates him in this discussion with Rodgers because we've talked about all time here, especially this season, how much of a difference it makes. You can have extremely talented quarterbacks who just don't succeed because they don't have all those weapons around him. Yeah. And we look at Josh Allen, you know, Stefan Diggs, like if they went out, they went out and got him some help and we saw him grow as a result. We talked about Baker Mayfield this season and how maybe you kind of given up on him. But then it's like when you put a better team around him and then a coach, then he does more. It's like they can't, you can't do it all by yourself was the point, even at that most important position on the field. And that's what we talked about with Sam Darnold as well. So you wonder if he had more help and was in a better situation. But it all speaks even greater volumes to why Roger should win it this year above all others. He just doesn't have those weapons he's had in years past and has still had, like you said, maybe his best year in terms of the success. So it will be him number one. And and listen, for the Bills Mafia crowd, this is so early in Josh Allen's career, right? Like I know they're all hungry to see their guy win the MVP. It's how we get as fans, right? We want, we want to see our guys rewarded for their great play. But this is this is really just step one for Josh Allen. I mean, we have seen a different Josh Allen this year. Now, if you're a fan, you just have to think like, boy, 
what is the ceiling of this guy? Because maybe maybe we underestimated exactly what his ceiling might be, even with all the physical attributes he had coming out of Wyoming. Well, I don't, I don't know that we ever thought he would throw for maybe 5,000 yards, maybe 40-some touchdown passes. All of that now is in play for Josh Allen. All right, when we come back here on Honorado and Bagnardi, Todd McShay has Mock Draft 1.0 out. Now, remember, the draft isn't until April, so there'll be a 3.0, 4.0, and probably a 5.0. Mm-hmm. But there were some interesting things that were in McShay's top 10, and among them is the limited number of quarterbacks in the top 10. And then I want to get Sean's take. How much exactly would he give up from a Jets perspective to get a guy like Deshaun Watson, who clearly is unhappy in Houston. That's next. We're back in less than a minute. This wasn't my first vehicle, so I wanted something cool, stylish, and dependable. The process was so easy and comfortable. I lead an active lifestyle, my days are busy, and I need a vehicle I can depend on and enjoy driving. As soon as I test drove the Honda Passport from Mohawk Honda, I knew it was the perfect vehicle for me. I love technology, and this Passport has it all. I'm Cassie from Boston Spa. That's my story, and this is my Mohawk Honda, where they really do go out of their way to please you. Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. We'll be talking NFL draft from now until that first Thursday night. Well, the only Thursday night. Come right? on. Too much draft. You don't love this stuff, huh? Yeah. Man, I love this stuff. No, it's too much. The for the projection, the possibilities. And what do we learn every year? You don't really ever know. Tough to get them right, man. Tough to get them right. I mean, you have to keep trying. I appreciate that. But, yeah, it's tough to get them right, and there's just too much. It's overkill. With that, here's Todd McShay's top five and then some of the other notables bags. No surprise, Trevor Lawrence to the Jaguars at number one. Here was was an early surprise. At two, Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon to your Jets. Mm -hmm. McShay says no quarterback here. Yep. Dolphins, Devontae Smith, right? The Heisman Trophy winner, the wide receiver from Alabama. And then the second quarterback to come off the board is BYU Zach Wilson to Atlanta, but only two quarterbacks in the top five. And the next guy to go at the quarterback position, Shawnee, is Justin Fields at 15 at the bottom of your screen to New England. So only three quarterbacks in the top 15. That to me was the biggest surprise, my biggest takeaway from McShay's mock draft 1.0. Yeah, it feels low for Fields there. Um, I, I'm As a Jets fan, I want Devontae Smith. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I think he's, he's, he's an exciting talent. Look, you've, gotta, you've got to protect the quarterback. There's no question about it. Um, but you drafted Mekhi Becton last year. You also got to get him some weapons. Yep. So – Devontae Smith, what, I, what I've seen this season from him at Alabama, he's very impressive to me and is a guy who 
could be that immediate weapon you bring in who has a big impact, not like Stefan Diggs, what we've seen, but but a similar idea that, you know, he could turn into that guy, be that that number one receiver for your team. So I'm I'm with, I want I'd rather see him there. This is obviously a very early, early, early mock draft. I think we're talking about the end of the draft. Um as far as the quarterbacks go, I guess my question to you then is why does it surprise you? Do, do you th- just just by virtue of the numbers, or are there teams here who you think maybe should be pursuing a quarterback who McShay does not think? Um, well, the Jets won potentially, but no, outside of that, you know, the Jaguars get their quarterback. Miami, I think, believes enough into it to, to give them another shot here. It's only been one year, and obviously, Cincinnati has their guy. Atlanta will draft a quarterback at, at four, I'm almost sure of that. What McShay doesn't account for here, and what, what I think we can assume will happen, is that there will be trades within the top five, or at the very least, the top ten. Right. right? Teams that are interested in quarterbacks and know they need to move up in order to get one. Um, I'm with you. Justin Fields, all the way at 15, to me, feels too low. With how quarterback-starved teams get in this league, it doesn't feel like they're just going to sit back and wait and hope and that Fields falls into somebody's lap in in the teens, let alone New England at 15. So McShay isn't accounting for any potential draft day deals, and that's fine. I would point out, yeah. Um, So I don't see any of their teams in the top five that would need or want a quarterback, um, but I think there will be others that jump in to get their quarterback. Like the Bears are in the playoffs. But are the Bears rolling with Mitchell Trubisky next year? Maybe as the starter, but don't you see them drafting a guy as well? Yeah, potentially there too. There, there are teams uh, in the NFL who will draft a quarterback in the first round, and I think higher than even the Colts, who we saw McShay has taking Mac Jones at number 21. Is McShay – I mean, is he now – No, he and Kuyper are both there. No, I know, but I mean, is, is he – do you put more stock in in his board than uh, Kuipers now? He has won some. He has won probably more of the quarterback arguments over the last fifteen years than than Mel. Hmm. It 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 seems to me that he hit on the quarterbacks a little bit more. Now look, he played. I'm pretty sure he played quarterback at Richmond. Um, but Mel's been doing this for such a long time, man. You can't discount the connections he has around the league in terms of people giving him information. Daniel Jeremiah, another one who I greatly respect from NFL Network, who does the same thing in terms of mock drafts and I think does a really good job at talent evaluation and knowing you know, what teams need which guys the most and, and then you know, in turn which guys are really going to perform at the highest level. I'll throw this back up here because I want to ask you, Bags, if you're the Jets and you have the second overall pick, would you entertain, or maybe if you're Jacksonville, would you entertain trading either of the top two picks for Deshaun Watson, who's clearly unhappy in Houston? Yes. Yes, 100%. He is He is a proven NFL talent. Star. So, star. So if, if I can get him – and all I have to give up is essentially something that's very unproven <laughs> because you don't even know who you would take there or how that person would potentially pan out. Yes, I would do it in a second. It's probably going to take more than just that, 
Um, so would you trade, okay, would you trade this year's first round pick? That's the number two pick. Next year's first round pick, and Sam Darnold. No. Which part of the which part of the three don't you like? It's I think the, the full combination of it. It that that to me makes it feel like too much. If it was Darnold and the first, I do it, or the first and the first, and I could keep Darnold as a backup or look to trade him elsewhere for okay. something else. Then, then yes, that would be what I would prefer. I think all three makes it just a little too much for me. You have a problem with what's going on in Houston here. I mean, they hired their new GM, Nick Casario, who has the Patriots ties, which everybody seems to just fall in love with anytime they're going through the hiring process. Watson says that the team told him, hey, we're going to consult you in what we're doing this offseason. We need a new GM. We need a new head coach. You're our franchise quarterback. Not only does your play on the field say it, but the contract we've given you says it as well. We want you to be part of this process. And then Watson claims they never came to him, never talked to him about Nick Casario. And now will they even talk to him about the head coach? He has, he has pushed for Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, and Houston hasn't gone yet to Kansas City to see if they can interview Bieniemy. So they verbally empowered their best player, but it doesn't seem like they backed up those words at all. Yeah, and if that's true, then – 100% you're with Watson. Um, it's hard to say everything that goes on behind the scenes, of course, and who says what to whom and and how things might be interpreted that maybe aren't true or whatever. But if this is how this went down, then Watson has the right to be upset, and he should be involved to some degree. Okay, I was so, just going to ask you, do so, you want teams you know, leaning on their star players for some of these big franchise decisions? To some degree, yes. I mean, at some point – you have to, as leadership, make the final decision on things. But we talk about this in, in all aspects of business. How many times do we see business owners uh, or business managers not involve the people who are going to ultimately be affected by their decisions, and then they go make the decision, and it turns out to be the wrong one? And oftentimes, if they had just talked to the people who were going to be affected, they maybe could have made a better decision. So yeah, we say all the time, like, if, if you empower your people, right? Yeah. You Correct. empower your people. And again, your employees aren't the ones who should or will make the decision at the end of the day. But I think there's great value in including them in the conversation. Hey, here are some of the people we're considering. What do you think about each of them? Right. Because at the end of the day, you should want your employees to be happy. So if you're Houston, you go to Sean Watson and you say, we're thinking about Nick Casario and then we're thinking about having him hire this guy as the next head coach. Do you like it or not? And if you don't tell us why, and maybe, maybe it maybe it changes our minds, but maybe it doesn't. But at least give your employees, and in this case, the player, some input. Empower them a little bit. Make them feel like they're part of the team and the decision-making process. If I'm yeah. this important that you make me the quarterback and you give me this for your contract, then shouldn't I be part of the hiring process? Yep. And I think some business leaders probably shy away from that because they think, well, if I seek the advice and then end up going a different direction, now I'm alienating that person. Now, now I'm making them upset. But it's all how you do it. It's all the approach. And if you manage the expectations and involve people and empower people and then are transparent about 
how and why you reached your decisions. You will have yeah. the respect of your employees and ultimately they'll work harder for you as a result. So look, especially if they went to him and said, we're going to involve you and then didn't, he has every right to be upset. And um, yeah, he wants out of Houston. It's the James Harden effect. Get out of Houston. Everybody wants out. Everybody wants out of Houston. Yeah. And do you think they'll trade him? No, no. they won't. They won't. No. You can't you can't no. trade these franchise changing quarterbacks. You cannot do there's not enough. And Wes Jacksonville said we'll give you the number one pick, and then maybe we'll give you next year's one as well. Like that, then I might consider it because I know I can get Trevor Lawrence. But you can't trade you. There's no return great enough for quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson. There no. isn't. But but the fact that this is now out there means you could get an offer that is too good to refuse. It's possible they're gonna you're gonna now potentially hear those offers. So I'm not gonna say it's impossible, but at the end of the day, I, I'll say no. He stays there. Huge baseball news yesterday. Bags texted me in the afternoon and said, does this mean the Mets are good? I'll tell you what I responded with. And big local baseball news to get to here as well involving the Valley Cats. There will be baseball in Troy this summer. That's next on Honorado and Bagnardi. Depressed, overworked, job sucks, underappreciated. When life sucks, <laughs> just say Dillagaff. Our clothing line puts the FU back into fun. Nothing will give you greater satisfaction. Dillagaff isn't just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Some people ride the crazy train, we drive that mother. Check out our selection at DillaGaffUSA.com. Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. We are driven by Mohawk Honda and Mohawk Chevrolet in Glenville and in Clifton Park, respectively. Great to have you with us here on Honorado and Bagnardi. Uh, Shawnee, man. I'll give you my honest reaction first, okay? Let's have it. When the Mets got Francisco Lindor yesterday, I went, oh. Because the potential of Steve Cohen being a real difference maker as the owner of the Mets was realized yesterday with one move. And that was the aggressive nature behind getting a franchise guy like Francisco. You guys have had Jacob DeGrom, and, and, and he has been the greatest pitcher on the planet now for three or four years. But Francisco Lindor is arguably the best shortstop on the planet. And you put him second or third in that lineup, man, what he's able to do in terms of the power production at that position, I thought, one, the Mets are for real now. Like even even if they don't make another move, they're 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 a serious 
danger in that division and in baseball overall. But I think there is probably still more to come, which worries me even more. Go ahead, man. You're, you're the Mets fan on the show. That's pretty much my reaction, too, though, that it could just be the sign of greater things to come as well. Not that this isn't a huge move on its own, because it is. But we've kind of been waiting as Mets fans. We've been hearing about how this new ownership is going to change everything. It's going to be great. And then you see pieces start to go to other teams. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought we were going to make our big splash this offseason. And this was going to be it. And now as a fan, you feel like, okay, all right, here we go. It's maybe some of that stuff was true. And now we're going to finally see this happen. And, and maybe more is to come. So for me, it is twofold. It's a big move. And it's about the prospect of what could possibly follow as you look at the trade here on your screen with the Indians. So yes, I'm excited about this, but I'm also managing my expectations because I this, this alone doesn't put them over the top for me. I still have concerns about the bullpen, especially the back end of this Mets bullpen. Um, yeah, it's sad to see Rosario go, but for what you get in return, this the Mets obviously are the winners in this trade. Uh, are they there yet? I don't think so. Now, what if uh, – well, I don't think you make a trade like this without well, – let's, let's do some of the, the guys here on your screen, uh, especially leaving New York. And then we get to Carlos Carrasco and what, what he means. Um, Isaiah Green is is a highly regarded outfield prospect – for the Mets center fielder. So Cleveland is is kind of hedging its bet here that the future with Jimenez, especially, it's short. Mm-hmm. Uh, and green in center is is what will you know, be the redeeming value of, of this trade. Yeah. What I started to say was, I don't think you make this trade if you're the Mets unless you know. We are going to pay whatever it takes to keep Francisco Lindor. It's, it's the same as yeah. what the Dodgers did last year with Mookie Betts. Yeah. You don't trade for Mookie Betts who you already know his market. Like, the Mets can't be surprised that Francisco Lindor is going to command $300 million. Well, wait, of course he is. He's the best yeah. shortstop in baseball. So you make the trade knowing you have enough in the savings account yeah. <laughs> to pay later on. And, yeah. and if the Mets are smart, they do it during the season. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's ultimately what will happen. Um, so let's go through this lineup a little bit here. I mean, you're, you're adding – what you see here on your screen, these numbers, this production to Alonzo and Conforto, um, you know, are you, do you think this puts the Mets in a position now to be World Series contenders? Because that's what you talked about, how now real serious players in this division, you know, I'm not ready to make that leap, are you? Not yet, because I think the Dodgers and Padres now – uh, are still significantly ahead of the Mets enough. But I I would – look, I haven't looked at the Vegas odds this morning. I know the World Series odds are way down. They were 35-1 to 1 to win the World Series uh, months ago, maybe at the end of last postseason. And this morning you wake up, they're 10-11-1 to 1 to win the World Series after the trade. Now, in terms of winning the division, are they the favorites? to knock off the Braves, who have won it three three straight years, they're right there. I mean, DeGrom, and, and here's the key piece. DeGrom, Stroman, Syndergaard at some point this year, 
maybe by the All-Star break, maybe before. But now Carrasco, a guy who had, I know, in a, in a shortened year last year, had a 2.91 ERA. Yeah. Um, this Carrasco slots in really nicely as a third or fourth starter when Syndergaard is healthy. That rotation now, you're not going in this ro- going into the year bag saying to me, yeah, but Steven Matz. Yeah, but I don't know. Is it Robert Gazelman or Seth Luke? Are they going to try to slide one of these guys in? Chris Flexen. Who, you know, they now have three to four guys who are more than rock solid in Major League Baseball. So the pitching's good enough. You add production in a guy like Lindor that d- didn't already exist in this lineup. When you look at his numbers, 30 home runs a year from the shortstop position. What other guy on this team, Bags, in this lineup? is going to average 30 home runs a year over six over six seasons. There isn't one. Alonso. But, yeah, no, yeah, I'm with you there. And, and look, it, this is – at the end of the day, you're right about the pitching, okay? It's a huge – it's a huge addition because I think it's underrated having a strong back end of your starting five. So, so that's – that's critical here as a part of this deal as well. Ultimately, I don't think the Mets are real World Series contenders unless they have a, a, a real, truly healthy Noah Syndergaard. Okay, that's fair. Buster only ranks his top five Major League Baseball teams as follows. Dodgers, Padres, Braves, Yankees, Mets. Okay, those are his top five. So four National League teams – in that group of five, um, the NL's loaded, man. What are the, the Mets have done this offseason? The money LA can still spend, they're yeah. loaded. Are the Mets the best team in New York? Not yet. No, I agree. But I think by the end of the offseason, they may be. If they sign George Springer, well, sure. That's a big Yeah. I don't think it's that big of an if. We both agree that there's probably another move coming. That's the most illogical one. Yeah. Springer, I like Springer. I think when you really look, I think when you look at Springer's numbers, it's it, he's not as impressive as he might appear to be. Okay. But he'd improve the team. So oh, definitely, definitely would take him. And again, it's more of that, that building momentum, that building of a different kind of culture here. And that notion that we will do whatever it takes and go get whatever pieces are available. That ultimately as a fan is what you really like to see. And yesterday was probably the, the the real initiation for this new leadership. And that's why a lot of Mets fans are really excited today. And, I mean, Lindor on his own, huge, huge addition. Speaking of Springer, boy, did we play this one up or what? I, he played very few games for Valley Cats. Yeah. <laughs> we, say it every, we say it every time anyway, former Valley Cat, right. George Springer. Um, one of the many Valley Cats to reach the major leagues and have a significant impact. Big news yesterday was that the Valley Cats will keep baseball in Troy for this coming summer. They're joining the Frontier League. It's independent baseball, but it is officially partnered with Major League Baseball. 96-game season, 48 games at Joe Bruno Stadium in Troy. That's good for the Capital Region. It is good. I thought we were going to have like some kind of beer softball league or something coming in. Um no, it, it is good. This is what we talked about. It doesn't really matter 
exactly what league it is or even necessarily what affiliation it is. For people in the Capital Region, it's about a night out at the ballpark. And that's ultimately what we're going to have. You want the big league affiliation, of course. That is something that you miss. And, you know, they'll they'll miss having Staten Island come to town and people, people, Brooklyn, and people could think they're seeing maybe future Mets or future Yankees. That was always that additional draw, really, of being the major league affiliate or even seeing guys like a Springer or somebody – a flash in the pan who comes through here who you could wind up seeing on a, on a much bigger stage someday. So you lose that, but you don't lose your night out at the ballpark. You don't lose your 4th of July fireworks and that kind of stuff. So this is a win for the capital region. Won't be the same exactly, but good enough. We'll take it. And you've sold me on that, that, that the affiliation, the level of play is not as important as I really believed it would be. Um, my, if you're 14, this is about hanging out and hitting on. Yeah, well, and that's what I've said, man. It's, yeah. it's teenagers walking the concourse. Um, yeah. But here's the, other, here's the other element, too, that I think adds to, to fans this year. They didn't have it in 2020. There's going to be hunger to go to the baseball park and to watch you know, their team, still the Valley Cats, playing baseball in Troy. By the way, I have a, a, a cousin who... Here, here's here's the disclaimer. You text me during the show or about the show, it might get used on the show. So Here let's I'll put that out there now. So I have a cousin who we love dearly, lives in Tennessee. She's from Houston originally. We yeah. said earlier on the show, everyone wants out of Houston. She goes, yeah, really nice. Now, my point would be, Allie, do you still live in Houston? No. So even Allie wanted out of Houston. Right, right. exactly right. <laughs> but she did say George Springer probably wants out of Houston as well. Yeah, that's right. There you go. College uh, Go ahead, Shoney. Well, I was just going to say here, you know, one more point with the Valley Cats is we don't know for sure yet that there will be fans. That's obviously the, the big thing. We assume there will be. We hope there will be. So that's obviously going to be critical because what is, what is this team in a Frontier League without fans? So we hope uh, that everything goes according to plan here and we can get a full house at the Joe sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, capacity, 4,500, somewhere in there. Even if you, you can't do half, it's outside. Yeah. Yeah. My, my guess yeah. is you can do half. Yeah. But you're right. A great point. We, we don't know. And, and the season that starts in May, where we will be in terms of uh, this pandemic by the time uh, opening day is for the Valley Cats. All right, when we come back here, quick break, 15-second break here. When we come back, College Football National Championship pick. That's Monday night, man. Bama, Ohio State. What we saw from the Buckeyes in the semifinal, is that enough to sway us to pick them to beat the Crimson Tide who are going after their sixth national championship in only 12 years? And the biggest surprise in the NBA is in New York. And it ain't Shawnee's Nets. We're back right after this. COVID-19 has affected all of us. Fortunately, at Mohawk Honda, we have strict protocols in place to ensure your health. Your safety is our number one concern, and we refuse to cut corners. It's just another way that we go out of our way to please you. All right, Bags, Monday night. Here it is, man, the College Football National Championship. After this year, you may get your wish. We may get some expanded playoffs. There's more momentum behind that conversation, and it has been growing for quite some time. Who do you like Monday night, man? Buckeyes, Crimson Tide. 
well, I'll be rooting heavily for Ohio State. But this is Alabama. And this is probably Alabama in a big way, unfortunately. I was really impressed with Ohio State in the playoff. And I think this team has a lot to prove because unfairly, you know, they that they they can't do anything about how many games they did or did not play, right? So I think they're they're being viewed a little differently because they didn't play this full slate of games, correct? Yeah, not their no question. Not their fault. Um, I think they have. You think it is their fault a little bit. Well, my point is, I think they they, they hear that criticism. They're using that as motivation, and they are proving themselves to be worthy of this spot anyway. That being said, I think Alabama is better, and they're going to win. If there's one team, one brand in the Big Ten that could have started the season when it wanted, however, wherever, whenever it wanted, even without the Big Ten's approval, which team is it? No, no, I get you. But my point is the players – And I'm not saying – look, I'm not saying a team should break away from the conference. That's the idea of the conference is that we're all kind of in this together, right? My point is the players and coaches. Okay. It wasn't under their control. And now yeah. they're the ones on the, the brunt end of that criticism. So they have something to prove here. And so far, all they've done is prove it. So good for them. I'll be rooting for them because I don't really like Alabama or Nick Saban anyway. But I think Alabama's going to win the game. Yeah, I think I think Bama too. Um, Justin Fields, a real opportunity here, right, even just to simply improve his draft stock. If he plays well against this Alabama defense on Monday night, um, I think it's close, though. Alabama's you've just kind of been waiting for a team to really test them. And what we saw from Ohio State's front four against the Clemson offensive line, if they can somehow duplicate that pressure that they were able to get on Trevor Lawrence and put it on Mac Jones, that to me is – we're talking about the offenses all day long, and that's cool. And one guy you saw on McShay's mock draft was Chris Olave, the wideout from Ohio State, who, when healthy, is one of the best in the country. So we'll talk about the quarterbacks, and we'll talk about the wide receivers all day long. And by the way, the tight ends had a great game against Clemson, too, for Ohio State. To me, it's can you get pressure on Mac Jones or not? Because if you can't, I don't think he's great, but the weapons are so good, and Jalen Waddell might be healthy enough to play Monday night for Alabama. That he he'll kill you. He will kill you. Yeah. Um, and so, give me Alabama. But to me, the X factor is going to be Ohio State's front four. We I know you want to talk about last night's NBA, and we will. Are the Knicks the biggest surprise though in the NBA? They're five and three. They look like a legitimate NBA team out there most nights. Yes, the answer to the question is I think they are the biggest early season surprise. The, the thing with this Knicks team is they're competing. They're playing hard under Tibbs, and they – look, they're out there really with nothing to lose. They're, the expectation is not very high this season. They're going out there and playing hard. And in the NBA, in the regular season, you go out there and play hard, you're going to win some games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you go out and play some defense, you're going to win some games. And I think Coach Tibbs has them in the right mindset. He's got them playing hard. Julius Randle's playing very well. You know, they have talent. Rivers has been been lights out. They have talent on that team. Of course, not enough talent to do any damage in the playoffs. Um, But again, 
If you're going to go out there and play hard, you're going to win some regular season games. And I think this is a really important point that this is how you start to build a better culture, which is really ultimately the biggest overarching problem with the Knicks. And if Coach Thibodeau can put in place a good culture, you could make the Knicks a destination because you've got the market, you've got the city, you've got the Mecca. If you can have the culture there and people don't think they're just going to go and and ruin their chance of having a, a championship in their career by going to this cancerous organization, you know, you got a different story here with the Knicks. So look out. I think they're on the right track. I think they're playing hard and playing well. Uh, I would be very cautious about predicting them to win a playoff series if they were to make the playoffs. Cautious about predicting them to make the playoffs, first yeah. of all. Yeah. Um, because things will things will correct themselves as they usually do. And, and it's really a tough league to compete ultimately unless you have that top-tier talent, which they don't. And the, and the East is good. The East is loaded. We went through it earlier, uh, you know, in the year here with the teams who we think are going to make the playoffs. And, and I'm not ready to take one of those out to put the Knicks in. But even if the Knicks were to get there, because of that gap in talent, it would be very difficult for them to even consider winning a playoff series. But the fact that that's even something that could be talked about eight, ten games in is a good sign that the Knicks are heading in the right direction. Knicks fans need to manage their expectations here. But the fact that your team is playing hard and playing well is something you haven't seen in a while, so good for them. Are we safe to talk about last night's Net Sixers game? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I watched it. Okay. Um, Seth Curry tested positive. This is the news after the game, and Philly didn't leave New York, stayed overnight uh, to do the contact tracing. You see the video of Curry on the bench. He's not playing. See the video of Curry on the bench, masked down at his chin, talking to other guys. What has or hasn't been passed on to some of the other 76ers players at this point? But the story of the game was that Brooklyn played lights out. And it's so funny. We weren't watching the game live. Um, Ash tells me, Nets beat the Sixers without Durant and Curry. Irving. Without Durant and Irving. And I, yep. I said, did Simmons play? Did Embiid play? Who played for Philly? She said, Harris. Simmons and they all played. All Harris played. had 29 off the bench and Lavert had 22 and and Brooklyn found a way to win that game. I mean, that's that's an impressive win, man, when you're in a stretch now without Durant and without without Irving for an undetermined amount of time. First of all, what's going on with Kyrie? I, I mean, know, man. I mean, it's just this and this is the stuff and look, it could be it could be anything. When they say personal reasons, so you don't want to uh, overreact as a fan and be critical of something that you you may or may not have no right to be critical about. But this just feels so Kyrie Irving, doesn't it, man? Yes. And especially with Durant not playing, it's like, come on, dude, you got to be out there. We'll, we'll, we'll break out the 90s jersey last night. The whole court looks different. That's a fun game. You're on TNT also last night against a big Eastern Conference uh, team and opponents, the seven and one Sixers coming in. Dude, if you can be on the court, you've got to be on the court. If you can't be, I understand that's fine. But from what we know of Kyrie Irving in his past, it's like odds are he's just up to his shenanigans, which is very frustrating as a fan, but something that you have to expect as a fan. This is part of what you sign up for. So it is what it is. As far as the game itself, 
yeah, the Nets look really good. The Sixers, uh, second half of a back-to-back, which I know is a really stupid thing and like that we talk about in the NBA. It's a bad excuse. But the Nets had, and Ian Eagle said it during the call, a, a bubble Nets feel. You know, mm-hmm. when, when the Nets, when the season resumed last year before the playoffs, because obviously the Nets got swept by Toronto, but the, the Nets weren't even locked into a playoff spot when they resumed in the bubble. And guys like Lavert and Allen really stepped up. And that's the big key is Karis Lavert has finally come out of his early season slump here and is playing well. Jared Allen may be playing the best basketball of his career. So that's huge. And you still have a guy like Joe Harris. So the Nets are good enough to win some games without their star players. And it was nice to see that happen last night. Not going to put too much stock in it. Again, Philly on the second half of back-to-back didn't look great most of the night. But the Nets outplayed them because they played hard and they they were the better team. So I was happy to see it. Yeah. Frustrated with Kyrie, man. You're right. Because we don't know what it is. It's personal reasons. We do know the head coach, Steve Nash, hasn't talked to his star player. Kyrie texted a a bunch of guys on the team, but not the head coach. Nash said after the game, like, I don't know exactly what's going on with him. I haven't talked to him. That's a problem in itself. And without knowing what the reasons are, I'm with you. It's, It's tough to be critical. But we've seen this too many times from Kyrie to not say anything at all. Right. right. And to not be right. suspicious, to not at least be suspicious. And and that, I think, unfortunately, is a position he has earned at this point because he has willingly chosen to play or not play in too many critical situations. And, and when your team doesn't have Kevin Durant, now's the time. Like you're the other max player on this team. Right. Now's the time to step up. It's almost like he sees it, too, I feel like, in his head where, well, Durant's not playing, so I'm not going to know. Like we saw last season, he could have played in the playoffs. He could have went to the bubble. He could have, you know. So that's frustrating. The good news for the Nets is that Durant could play as early as Sunday. Mm-hmm. So they've, they're on the second half of the back-to-back tonight in Memphis, a team they lost to in overtime. It's going to be tough tonight with on the second half of back-to-back without there are stars. Obviously, John Morant still hurt. We'll see what happens with, with tonight's game. But if you get Durant back Sunday, that's a really good sign for Brooklyn. But, yeah, this Kyrie thing, this this is going to be like an all-year, a, a duration of his career with the Nets saga. It's ongoing. It's been happening since before he was with the Nets, and it's going to happen probably long after he's with the Nets too. It's just who he is. So it's very frustrating, no matter what's going on. Right. No excuse not to tell your coach about it. And then yeah. that's that's what we talk about with him. But we've also talked about we think he has some serious issues to begin with. So, you know, hopefully he's healthy physically and mentally. And when he comes back, the, the Nets are still a very good team and, 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 and a, a good team without their star players. He had those two guys back in. Obviously, we're, we're right back where we want to be. NFL wildcard weekend. I've said it. I hate the idea of expanding playoffs in, in basically every sport. I don't like the idea of it. But am I excited about three games on Saturday on. and three games on Sunday? Come on. Let's go. Triple header. <laughs> you know, we talk about how – for that. We talk about how, like, this is usually the best weekend in football or, and, and next weekend because then yeah. – well, you've got the four the four games normally, and then you know next weekend is the better four because you get the usually the one and two seeds both in act. So this now though 
You're talking about triple headers. It's almost better than next week when you bring the number one seeds in just because you've got all these games and these these extra matchups. So awesome. I'm looking forward to it. It's a weekend of you just sit and watch football. If you can do it, this is the weekend you just sit and watch football. Enjoy the weekend, Bags. You too, man. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching Honorado and